Welcome to Poets and Writers, 90.7 WEHC, here on the Emory and Henry campus, the beautiful Emory and Henry campus. And as we like to say on this program, we write poems every day in our hearts, but we're often afraid to share them. So send me a few lines to McCarthyHenry at Yahoo.com, and we'll put them on. We're going to do something a little different today. I always play some music at the beginning at the end, and at the end of this program. But today we have a special guest, a very special guest. I'm on the road. I'm down in Raleigh, North Carolina at Quail Ridge Bookstore. All of you have heard of Pat Conroy. He has written many, many books. As you know, The Great Santini, The Waters Wide, Prince of Tides. So I was there, and Nancy Olson, who I've had on this program, she's a friend of mine, and she owns Quail Ridge Bookstore. She was born over in Dickinson County, and her father went to Emory and Henry College. So Nancy is introducing Pat. He comes through Quail Ridge. He has a new book out called My Reading Life, a beautiful book. So this is Pat Conroy, and Nancy is introducing him, and we're going to go right to his speech now. So Richard Graves, if you will put Pat Conroy on, we are delighted to have him. Are you steady? Yes, I'm steady. (laughs) I was expecting a better introduction. Uh, it's wonderful to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. I always love coming to North Carolina. It was one of the states I grew up in most when I was a kid. Cherry Point, Camp Lejeune. Not a single North Carolinian knows, North Carolinian knows that. Uh, the other state I grew up in was Virginia, Quantico, the Pentagon. My first great adult friend, I just spotted her tonight, and she is my oldest friend. And what I mean by that is a friend I have known the longest. As a military brat, I never got to know people like everyone else. But Kitty Mahoney, who I served at a mass when she married Don Mancini, and her son, my best friend Mike, was the other altar boy. I just spotted Kitty there. And here's how I honor my friends. I call them my little salutes. And I put my friends and their names in a book. And you can go find Kitty Mahoney as the secretary of Leo King in South of Broad. Kitty Mahoney Mancini, would you please stand up? I first walked into her house on Culpeper Street, Arlington, Virginia, and she sat me down and she says, I'd like to get to know you, young man. Do you like classical music? Yes, ma'am. I had no idea what classical music was. (laughs) But I also learned from reading. Now, I've been on this tour of, um, you know, for this book, my reading life, and what it's brought me back to is my writing life. And I thought a lot about my writing career, what I was hoping for to get out of it. And, you know, it's, I'm like everybody else. You know, I wanted to be a writer. I dreamed about being a writer. I had no idea how to go about being a writer. 
I just didn't I just didn't know what to do. And since my father was a Marine Corps fighter pilot, my mother did not go to college. And then I went to that novel-making factory, the Citadel. <laughs> I didn't quite know where this wish was going to go. So I remember writing poetry in high school, and Kitty knew my father and mother well. And I made a mistake in high school because I thought the name Pat Conroy made me sound like an Irish bus driver from the Bronx. <laughs> and you know, my mother was once interviewed by a reporter, and they said, Ms. Conroy, when did you know Pat was going to be a writer? And my mother, who had great dramatic flair, said, I knew it when the nurse brought that little body, and I pressed his head to my I said, Mom, if you knew it so early, why don't you name me something great like Rutledge Ravenel? <laughs> and she said, you've never understood the elegance of simplicity, son. <laughs> well, the mistake I made in high school, I started to write poetry, horrible poetry, just dreadful. And I started writing this in high school, and I wrote one poem, and they published it, and I was so happy, it was my first publication, and, and I think I was a freshman or sophomore, and it came out, and I was delighted, and it, you know, my God, it was horrible. I came across it recently. It's, uh, it does more for the death of literature than for its life than anything I've ever seen in my life. So anyway, that's, you know, so I also signed it, D. Patrick Conroy. I was under the sway of the great Gatsby, and I loved F. Scott. So I signed D. Pat and I thought from then on that would be my name. And y'all would be coming to be Patrick. D. Patrick Conroy is wonderful to talk tonight. And it would be fun to talk to D. Patrick himself. So I really was very, very excited about this. My father sees at the point. Would D. Patrick pass the salt? <laughs> Would D. Patrick pass old dad a biscuit? Will D. Patrick... It was the last time D. Patrick has ever been mentioned on the face of the earth. Now, in, in this whole process, I've, I've loved how a career works. You know, it's amazing to me. All y'all are here. It just stuns me. Uh, because in the first... I was in um, Beaufort, South Carolina. I published my first book, the worst book ever written by an American, The Boo. <laughs> and because of ignorance, I published it myself. And I went down, and there was The Boo. And I swear to God, I cannot figure out how to. I never met a writer except one who had died. <laughs> so when I wrote this book, and I can't type, my father would not let me take typing in high school. And he said, you know, girls type, son. <laughs> Sergeants don't type. Corporals type. You'll be fighting a Marine Corps airplane, a warplane over enemy territory. You won't need to type. And I said, Dad, Dad, um, uh, I thought it would help me when I filled out fitness reports. <laughs> so, you know, and Dad was just 
discuss. Then I went to the Citadel. I could have majored in bazooka. I could major in machine guns. They did not have a typing course in the whole thing. So I still write by hand. So I write this book about this Colonel, the boo, who had been fired because he was bad for discipline at the Citadel. Uh, he was a bear catch. He scared me to death when I was a cadet. But he was a good guy. And there was a rule at the Citadel I always loved. If you're ever in trouble, go and see the boo. So I thought, okay. You know, well, the guy got fired, and I was up there. I said, Colonel, if you ever want to write a book about what happened to you, let me know. I want to be a writer. So the boo said, yes. We started the stuff. I wrote down 250 pages by hand. The boo reads it. He says, I like this, Bubba. I said, well, here, let me explain why, Carl. It's 250 pages praising you from the first page to the last. And most human beings would like a book like this. And then he says, Bubba, you're an English major. Okay, let me explain that. It's a syllable. It was an open admission I was gay. <laughs> And the colonel says, Bubba, when you're down there with the English majors and you're putting on makeup before a class and, address, and adjusting your bra straps, do you ever talk about writing books? I said, yeah, we talk about it, Carl, but you know, I'm, you know, this is the first time I've ever done it. He said, how do you get a book published? I said, I don't know. And he said, let's look in the yellow pages. <laughs> So we did. And under publishing, we found a place that did, it said, invitations, business cards, books. So I went down there. I was, you know, a, you know, I, was a I realized I was a kid. I was 20, I think I was 20 years old, 21 years old. So I, you know, I dress up and, uh, you know, walk into this guy's office and I said, and I'm terrified. I was, you know, I was not the bold, urbane man you see before you. <laughs> I was scared to death. And I go into the site, and I, and I memorize a little speech. I do that when I'm nervous. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Pat Conroy, and I have written a book I think you will find of interest. And I would like to get that book published by your, your company. And I said, great. I said, what do you mean, great? They said, we'll be glad to do it. I said, I heard it was hard to get a book published. And he looked at me and he said, not for a smart guy like you. And he said, for 5,000 copies, $5,000, we'll do 2,000 copies, 4,000, we'll do, and they had a little formula. So I said, that's how they all do it? He said, what, do you think we do it for nothing? I went down to the People's Bank in Beaufort, South Carolina. Willie Shepard, I had known even since I was a kid there. And he's the president of the People's Bank. And what he did is I walked in and I said, Willie, I have written a book about the Citadel. I need $3,000. Willie looks at me and says, we've never had a book about the Citadel. He said, I'd love to read a book about my alma mater. He writes a check. He says, I'm giving you 4000 He hands it. That's the way business was done in Buford. Um, you know, it is, uh, those days are gone. But anyway, he hands me this money. 
I give it to the publishing company. Three months later, I have my first book. Then you're not thinking, ah, well, unfortunately, my life goes this way. <laughs> I have my first book, and I have been fired from teaching on Defusky Island. During the first year of teacher integration, where I taught grade five through eight, um, all black kids, I was integration. For one year of my life, I was the white school teacher. And um, I would walk into you know, a kid's house, and the grandmother would look at me and say, you the white school teacher? I said, who are your other candidates? I had much to live, the kids did not know what country they lived in, the ocean, the white washed up on their island. They thought Savannah, Georgia is the largest city in the world. They thought Bluffton, South Carolina was the second largest. <laughs> Five couldn't write their name. Six didn't know the alphabet. Uh, these kids were in trouble, all right below the eighth grade level. By the end of the day, I told the kid, gather them around, I'd give them the test to find out. That they were right below the first grade level, and I said, kids, you don't know me, but I'm gonna teach you, and I'm gonna teach you well, and we are going to have a ball. And I made you feel bad. The next day, I gave him the test, and I told him the answers. And I explained why the answers were the answers. I said, let's take it again. The test improved mightily. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that they felt good. So we went for this year. I wrote to the superintendent, the first day of school, I wrote him and I said, separate but equal, like you told me, pal? It's the biggest lie ever told in the entire world. It is a lie, a stupid lie, and a mean lie. And you told me all these kids are gonna be on welfare? Let me tell you why they're gonna be on welfare. People like us. Mm. It did not help the love of the superintendent. <laughs> At the end of the year, I ended up taking the kids to Washington, D.C. because Kitty, we went up with Kitty. And some of them stayed with Kitty, including me. And we put these kids in houses all over Northern Virginia. And when they opened their bags, I love this, when they opened their bags, their parents were worried I wouldn't feed them. <laughs> and there were boxes of grits. <laughs> there was stuff there were crab cakes, double crab cakes. <laughs> and we spent the week up there. And well, there's a picture of me walking them down uh, near the art museum. And they are all 18 around me. They're, they're terrified. They've never been to a big city before. I got a letter, an email, excuse me, this week. Sally Ann Robinson, one of the kids in that class, she sends me an email and says, Mr. Conroy, she has written two Gullah cookbooks published by the University of North Carolina Press. Thank you. She said, Mr. Conroy, I have never been back to Washington, D.C. until you, because you took us there when I was in sixth grade and you were teaching on the Fusky Island. And I remember we had never heard of Washington, D.C. You took us to the Capitol. You took us to the White House. You introduced us to our senator. 
the art museum. We'd never seen anything like it. You explain stuff. I said, it's great. You're going to know stuff. The Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial. Then for the last, you save the Smithsonian Institute because you had loved it so much as a child. And you took us all through there and showed us everything. Last week, I signed my cookbooks at the Smithsonian Institute. <laughs> And Mr. Conroy, the crowd was huge. <laughs> it is easy. So I am getting fired. I'm going to publish my book again. McClure Press has done my first, and they publish the second. When somebody came through town and said they saw my book, and knew it was you know, self-published, and, you know, and this guy had written books before. And he was interviewing me about being fired on the island. So he said, um, you need an agent. And he gave him the name of his agent, Julian Bach. Now, that doesn't sound like that guy was born to be an agent. <laughs> Julian, that's, he, that's the name I want as a novel. Uh, we're going to hear Julian Bach tonight. <laughs> so I called Julian Bach the next day. And once again, I've written out what I'm going to say. Dear Mr. Bach, this is Pat Conroy from Beaufort, South Carolina. I have written a book that I think you'll be very interested in. It is about teaching on a sea island in South Carolina. He goes, I'm going to fire my secretary today. And I said, don't fire her, sir. And I said, he said, why? And I said, well, I told her that your first cousin had died. <laughs> and that's the only reason she let me on. And he said, why'd you do that? And I said, well, she wouldn't let me talk to you. So I made that up. He said, losers like you <laughs> call me every day of my life. He said, son, I've barely heard of South Carolina. I've never heard of Buford, and I don't care what you have written. I wrote him a letter the next day. Dear Mr. Bach, your soul has withered in the canyons of New York City. <laughs> I've never met a more obnoxious, self-satisfied, unctuous, oleogenous personality in my entire life. And I'd like to beat you to a pulp in the middle of Times Square. He loved the letter. He writes, he writes me back. Uh, he didn't write me back. He calls me and he said, maybe I was a little hasty. Said, but now you must be a professional. And you give me, I think it was Monday he called, you give me a copy of your book by the weekend read. Now, young people, there was no FedEx in those days. There was no UPS in those days. Uh, you could have gotten... I could have taken a mule to New York as fast as he does postal service. So I am you know, desperate. Of course, remember, I can't type. Remember, excuse me. Oh, my God, look what you did. Do you mind if I move it back? And so I don't type. So I've got, you know, 250 pages of manuscript together. And so my, I've been fired for two or three months, <coughs> and no money was coming in, nothing was had. I had a baby, uh, two children that I had adopted. 
so things were looking bleak. So my mother and my wife get to, they call everybody in Buford still talking to me. Not a great number. The typing pool was small. Who, who could type? They had to type. So these wonderful people in Buford, South Carolina came roaring over. Mom stood at the back door, my wife stood at the front door. They handed them a chapter. Each had a type of chapter. When do we have to have it back? Have to have it back tomorrow. We gotta get it up there before the weekend read. <laughs> Pat's got himself a New York agent. <laughs> so the house was alive with excitement. Every single one of those magical typers came back the next day with their work done. I took it all up, put it in order, got it to the, they held, a, held the post office open for me. So I get it in the mail. That's small towns back then. And got it in the mail. Here was my mistake. It was a rookie mistake. Because I didn't type. I didn't know there were things like pica. Um, elite. I didn't know, you know, being young, you don't know what I'm talking about either. But I'm just... <laughs> that stuff looked like handwriting. You know, so everybody used whatever they had. They, some of them used long yellow sheets, some little blue sheets, some onion skin, but everyone used a different kind of paper. Harriet Kaiserling used her personal stationery. <laughs> Julian Bach gets it. And what Julian Bach does, he instantly phones me. And he said, Mr. Conroy. <laughs> The girls in the office have all fallen in love with you. We have not read a single word, but I must tell you, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. So, I realized he thought little Abner had written a book. Good a month later, Julian, after getting the book retyped, called me up and said, Pat, I have great news. Houghton Mifflin, the publisher of Whitman, Emerson, Thoreau, Emily Dickinson, they want to do your book. They want to publish it. And here's the great news. $7,500. <laughs> And in a line he never let me forget, I said, Julian, I can get it done a lot cheaper. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Henry McCarthy, Poets and Writers on the Road, and that was Pat Conroy, great writer and a great speaker.
I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thank you, Richard Graves, for all your help. Now let's hear we've been featuring Cat Stevens' greatest hits. So let's end with Cat Stevens. Another great song of his about the old schoolyard. Or another Saturday night, Richard. Let's put another Saturday night on. Standing here Right on this very same side I was dying But for you It was just another night You once rocked me In your world You bought me My first shoes I was just Another lonely child Oh and you were much Amused Dress me well All for your friends to see You drained my body Calmly till There was no more left in me Then you walked out And you cut me cold Out on the road somewhere Why it happened Well I don't know And I still have no idea Everybody needs a friend Sometimes you need a little help And who knows, maybe one day you'll seek mine Only time will tell You once held me in your arms You made me feel so right I was flying, but for you Any night or any day I won't ever let 